This podcast contains potentially adult language, adult themes, definitely drinking, and possibly sexual context. Listener discretion is advised. I need another one. That's fine. Fantastical (laughs) CR Rice. That was terrible. Okay. Our sponsor today is Skunk Brothers Spirits, coupon code DWA10. And our amazing guest who has (laughs) threatened surprises, I'm going to use the word threatened surprises, is Wendy Samford. Okay. Let's talk about what we're drinking real quick. I am drinking. um, So there, I live in North Carolina. There are breweries everywhere. So I went, got this one from, okay, that's terrible. I can't remember. I'll remember it in a minute. But it's called Fergus in the Woods Imperial S'mores Stout. Okay. Nice. And it's got a weird, like, skeletal Indian-looking thing with a fishing rod and a bow and arrow and then s'mores on either side. So whoever designed this, I'm sure, thought this all had great meaning. But I was like, this didn't even make sense. Oh, and I'm drinking it out of our new, our new drinking with author swag. Oh, nice. Yes, bright, offensive cup that our guests get for being on this this show. Well, um, CR, what are you drinking? Have you come up with another horseman drink? Well, so I think this is the one that we did for war. But this is um, so it's the black cherry cranberry and vodka and then some strawberries in my ridiculously big cup but this cool thing oh my goodness what the hell is that what so we went to helen georgia for vacation last week and they had the coolest liquor store it was insane so we initially got this for the bottle but then so this is a little ice maker thing but i can't bring myself to break like to break it off so we had we've already had a couple of these and it's amazing it's literally called outer space vodka and it's so cute Oh my God, that's adorable. That's totally Great adorable. Name. Okay, yes. Wendy, what, 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 what were you thinking over there with the drink? I was thinking I was going to open this bottle of my cheap champagne um, just to celebrate the podcast and to have Ooh. fun. And I'm going to put it in my little beach cup that is so cool because it looks like it has sand and little shells on the bottom of it. And I always put a little bit of pomegranate inside of my champagne so here we go if it doesn't okay don't drink anything of yourself let me see if i can much smoother than i thought it was so much easier yeah it's not my first rodeo girls no (laughs) i'm impressed i'm impressed somebody said i should learn that knife trick with champagne and i'm like you did i'm like that's a terrible plan i'm not doing that for the 300th show, it'll be a display of Erica just cutting the... It'll be a display off. of me breaking a bottle with a knife. I'll just have to record outside. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. Okay. Wendy, for those that are listening after that bit of awesomeness, um, and also my boyfriend would not allow me that glass because that looks like hand wash only, and he has a rule oh, yes. that I can't have cups that it won't go in the dishwasher. Yeah. That's funny. My husband has a rule. I'm not allowed to... When we go outside, we have a pool. I live in Florida. I can, I only can have plastic 
outside because I break glasses, unfortunately. So there's rules at our house too. Oh, <laughs> that's why every time I'm on, like I always have a metal cup because my husband says the same thing. I'm way too clumsy for it. I have broken several of glasses. Same. And that is why we give away these drinking with authors cups with lids on them. <laughs> I like that so much. I'm super excited about it. Yeah, no, you'll definitely get someone. Okay, so let's talk about what you write though, Wendy. Okay, we could talk about that. Um, well, it's all over the place. I, I consider my writing career in two different sections. One is kind of an education, uh, higher ed, um, kind of a um, focus on my writing. I wrote two books. Um, about leadership and about overtesting of kids in the United States. And then I kind of switched gears and now I am writing about foster care. Um, mostly I interview people that are adults that grew up in foster care and I share their stories. So two completely different genres, I guess. But um, I think the commonality is about kids. My background is in education where I started. So I have a deep a deep love for all kids and um, just their welfare, I guess. So that is awesome. That is awesome. But so if you started in education, when did you actually not when did you write your book that got published? When did you start writing? Um, you know, this is the funniest thing. Don't tell anybody, just share it with us. Of girl. Top Don't worry, nobody, nobody listens. The thousands of people who are <laughs> subscribed to this, nobody will hear anything. It's fine. I cannot spell for shit, man. I just can't. I'm not a good speller because in high school, back in the day, they used to, they would track you um, according to your grades. And I did not apply myself in high school. Um, and so I was put into a lot of secretarial classes. And at that time, the vocational schools were still in the high schools. Well, if you know anything about shorthand, you spell phonetically. And so... I mean, I, I even little small words, it's really bad. So the fact that I do this for a living is, it just has to be a, a God thing because it's not me personally. That it's not really one of my gifts. Um, my career was more like started in business. Um, when I went to college undergraduate, I was in business education. So at first I decided to go in the business route, accounting numbers, I like that kind of stuff. It's very black and white. It makes sense. It makes me feel safe and secure, not having a lot of gray in there for some I reason. I you saying that because I suck with the numbers. I can't math. So <laughs> I, I appreciate that. Yeah. I appreciate yeah. those that can do the maths. Yes. As it's, I say, uh, even at work. <laughs> yeah, no, I, it, but it's not math. I'm not really good at math. It's almost like accounting, just balancing. I guess that just always made sense to me for some reason. But um, later, after I had my children, went into education and taught um, business classes, I guess. And then uh, I did that only for a short amount of time. I had gone back for my master's in the meantime and I got pulled right into central office, um, meaning the district office. So that's when I started writing probably. It's probably about 25 years ago. I started writing grants. And um, so grants are very, um, they're very outlined, very cut and dry. They would tell you exactly what you have to write, exactly what paragraph, exactly this. So. Um, I started doing that and I found success there. So I just kind of stuck with it. So I guess I, I was writing, but not pre-writing using my, my own ideas to do something. I was writing something that was very directed. So. Wow. And then 
so you write mainly nonfiction or do you somewhat yes. fictionalize your stories? No, I'm so nonfiction. I really have to force myself. My bookcase is back here, but I, I mean, I really have to force myself to read fiction. I, I read fiction when I'm not writing. When I take a break in between the year I write and I usually take several months off to clear my head. And um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I just, I always like to learn. I, I, I feel like if I'm reading something, I want to learn something from it, but, but I also love Stephen King. So there's that. Oh, you can learn lots of things from Stephen King, most specifically <laughs> so what too. not to do in situations. <laughs> I yeah. am known to, in my neighborhood, if there are crows in my front yard, I will go outside and chase them out of my yard. And I know it's because of Stephen King. Yeah, so like, I will give you a little tidbit of advice on crows. Oh, They yes. have this weird genetic memory thing. They did this <laughs> oh, experiment yeah. at Harvard. I'm not kidding, you can look this up. Where somebody dressed up in a, I wanna say Ronald Reagan, but it might've been Richard Nixon mask, one of the two and went out there and would scare the crows away, right? And they started kind of attacking him after a while. And 20 years later, he went back with the same mask and the crows attacked again. <laughs> they have some weird genetic memory. I'm kidding. Are you I'm serious? Kidding. Is that a I'm true? Yeah, crows are actually extremely intelligent. Like, yeah. They're, they, and they get vindictive too. Well, they say they yard. have the whole saying about them where if you have all the, you know, you're supposed to count the crows in your yard and it tells you what's going to happen. Yeah, I don't know, but I know that they are not usually in my yard. I think they know there's a crazy person that's going to run outside and throw a piece of mulch at them if they're in my yard. And so I maybe their memory is remembering this face without a mask saying, uh uh, uh not in this yard. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting, interesting. Yeah, I would look up yeah. that study. You like reading nonfiction. I'd look up this study. I would be careful it. with the crows. I'm just saying <laughs> they come back. They come back. It's crazy. I so when you publish your first book, was it traditional or did you self-publish? Um, first book that I wrote, I contributed to three, I think three books uh, contributed. I mean, I was um I went for my doctorate. And met some people, um, stayed in the schools for a while, and then went into um, higher ed and worked for the State Department for a little bit. But I met some people, and when you're in that higher ed um, kind of track, there's a lot of people that write books, and they ask you to write chapters. So I had written, contributed to like three books, and then I thought, I just felt really strong at that time. I was in the schools and it was right when the testing started, like all of the standardized testing was coming down, coming down, coming down. And at the time, part of my job is to go in and evaluate teachers in the classroom. And they were basing half, exactly half of the evaluation on the results of the tests of the kids in their classroom, which if you know anything about kids, you should never base anything on what kids are going to do, really, because they aren't apples. They're 25 little kids sitting in your classroom. And especially, I work closely with the special education teachers, and it was just too much. It was eating me up, and I, I just couldn't stand to see um, the stress that the kids were under while they were taking the tests. And then, and not that I'm getting against testing, because I'm not, you have to do some kind of basis to say, okay, well, you're here, or you're here, or you're here, so we can learn growth. But it was the comparison, the 
school to school comparison and then it went state to state and then went different countries and pretty soon we're comparing things that are so qualitatively not insane at all and so i just uh i i did a lot of praying about it and then i quit my job i would not suggest this financially to anyone that is listening to this podcast um, that is a very bad financial decision to make because you don't make a lot when you write, um, unless you have a bestseller. Um, but my husband's very supportive. And so I took a turn, went down my basement and started writing a first book on over-testing. It's called Out of the Dark. So that was the first one, my first baby. Very cool. And so did it go traditional publishing or? Yeah, I went traditional on the first one. Yes, for sure. And it was funny. It was such a... Um, you know, it's such a hard thing to be a writer because there's so many facets to it. One, one, you're a writer and you love to write and you have passion about this, whatever you're writing about. Um, and then the other part is, then you have to market yourself. You have to find somebody that, that you know, is in your same genre or feels as strongly, the publisher. Then you have to promote it. Then you have, you know, you're editing. There's all these different career like jobs and you're doing all of them. So it's a real learning curve. That first book uh, put me over the, over the edge. But uh, yeah, I, I went traditional and glad I did the first time because you, you need guidance and they were, they, they guided you. And that was good. I'm not sure I see a difference now having done traditional. I've also self-published and now this last book, I did a hybrid publishing company so they literally just make it look good and then anything else you're purchasing services if you want to or you're doing it all yourself so I, I probably like this the best yeah the I will tell you that there's a difference which what you're saying is a vanity press so and that's different than a hybrid publisher a vanity press charges you to do things and a hybrid publisher does not oh I did not yes. know that. Yeah. So it gets everybody. And I thought, say, it again. say again what you just said. Vanity. A vanity press. So what a vanity press is, and unfortunately, authors can fall into this trap, and I mean that with sincere love, but what they'll do is they'll be like for $1,200 or $2,500, mm -hmm. or I've seen it up to $7,500, yeah. what we'll do is we'll edit your book will typeset your book and we'll put a cover on your book, right? The situation is though, and I cannot stress this enough to authors. There are so many editors out there, believe it or not, that will edit your book for way less than that. If you just want to hire an editor, even if you want to hire a developmental editor, they will do that. There are typesetters that'll typeset your book and there are cover artists that will help you with the cover. All of this is an educational path. So for some people, spending $2,500 or $5,000, they might say, fuck it, I'm just going to give this mm -hmm. over to a vanity press. The problem is the vanity press doesn't tell you things like, you hope they keep your book up, you don't own the ISBN. They might tell you you own the ISBN, but it's impossible unless you purchased it yourself for you to own the ISBN. This is not a number that travels. So even like we, we have a publishing house um, and we've talked about it on the show, but we buy the ISBNs, they belong to the publishing house. If an author wants to take their books elsewhere, we can give them all the other stuff, but I can't give you the ISBN. It doesn't work like that. So that ISBN is with that vanity press and you got to hope they don't go out of business or take it down or anything because they also have 
all of your files and all of the things. A hybrid publisher, a lot of times, or I, I don't love the term hybrid publisher, but a hybrid publisher can be a publisher that takes on projects that um, does all of the work for them, like put your cover, put your everything, but does not do any marketing for you. And it's kind of just like here and it's done and it's up and we're going to take a huge chunk of your profits to do it if they think you're good. And then there are also like smaller publishers. The traditional route tends to be one where there's a contract, they assign an editor to you. Like there's a lot of steps and a lot of times your book may not come out for three years, right? <laughs> and they may only take one of your books instead of a series of books. Like there, there are so many different variants to this thing, but I would warn, I mean, I think it's great. And for some people, again, getting that cover, all of that stuff done is great, but not a lot of entity presses actually do the research for like, what are truly the keywords it should be under? What should the cover actually look like? Because a lot of times they take what the author says the cover should look like. And I love authors. I'm an author. All of us on this podcast are authors. But the fact of the matter is, a lot of times, as a publisher, I can tell you this, authors have this beautiful idea in their head of what should be the cover for their book. I found this picture of my grandfather when I was he was 20 years old and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, it's a fucking science fiction book. We're going to put some stamp That was so specific. I want to know who, because no. I know all of our authors. No, I'm not example. giving up names. Not giving up names. But we've had that, or we've had authors present us like, hey, this is a cover of the book it already, that I already had. And we're like, cool, that's terrible. So we're not going to use that. Because unfortunately, especially in a digital age, like it's great if you can walk through stores, but even walking through stores, books in genres have specific kind of covers. And believe it or not, readers are trained for those covers. Like that is why Fabio, and there's another gentleman whose name escapes me right now, who surpassed Fabio on romance covers now. But that's why they do so. They're on all these covers. Fabio was on 488 romance oh covers. Oh my gosh, I did not know that. Yeah, that but it was because like that whole like, huh, and the yeah. and the long, luxurious hair. And like, yeah, the <laughs> hair, the open shirt, that meant a romance cover. It's kind of like if you see hometown romance covers, normally it's fall or spring in the back. Like it's one it's of the Hallmark movie. Oh, yes. Yeah. And so not that you have to have your book look like every other book. And that's not what I'm saying. So if you're listening to me, no hate mail. What I'm saying, though, is if you want to sell your book and you want it recognized in the genre for what it is and you have a little, you know, one and a half by one inch tile but you know thumbnail somebody's got to look at your book and go that's what this book is because if you put your grandfather on the cover of a a book and you 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 it's a sci-fi book about time travel nobody's ever gonna know that from just an old man mm -hmm. sitting with a farm background on a book like they're I never gonna like guess a historical that. periodical thing yeah is it a biography about farming? You don't know. So it's something to consider when you're going down that path is you have to do your own research anyway. And I feel like I just absorbed a huge part of this podcast with my tangent. So I'm going to take a sip on my thing and Wendy. Can <laughs> I think I'll wait till you hear what I'm going to counter with that. You could see all these pictures. Well, you guys can on the wall behind me and 
I did all my covers. That's the funny part of your story right there is, um, but the, their backgrounds, I paint. So the backgrounds are my paintings usually. And then, um, well, in the first two books anyway, and then they did all the, the typesetting over top of them. So, which I really, I, and they could have, both were traditional publishers. So on the first two books, so they can either say yes or no, because they're the ones, you know, traditional, you're, you're, they're in charge of it. And you should really, if you don't know what you're doing, it's kind of, I guess it's not a bad thing because you need some kind of guidance unless you have someone that has taken your hand and guiding you through. I, I don't, you just don't, I, I just didn't know what I was doing. I had no idea what I was getting myself into at the beginning. Cause, uh, and as you both know, it's, it's a lot of, it's a lot of work. Um, it is, it's a lot of work. And I think that's one of the hard things when it comes to being an artist in this particular field is that, uh, you know, I, I say this, but I'm going to say this with the, but like, if you're a painter, you paint. If you're a sculptor, you sculpt. If you're a street artist, you do that. If you're a poet, you, you know. But one of the things I think everybody forgets is any kind of artist that you are, right? Even if you're a painter, like I have a friend that's a painter. I, I'm actually purchasing another one of her paintings. Her name is Sue Grafe. I love her paintings. They're these bright colors. And she does a lot of Florida scenes and stuff like that. Believe it or not, she did a tractor. I moved to North Carolina. It's going to hang in one of my bathrooms. It's amazing. But um, one of the things with even her stuff, for instance, right, is she had to get a web page up and she had to start getting gallery openings and reach out and find art shows and find places to go display her art and advertise her art. Because otherwise, you can paint till your heart's content. You can fill your entire house with paintings, mm -hmm. but if nobody can see them or find them or whatever, you're not going to sell. It's very similar to the art of writing. Like you Absolutely. have to find a way to get your work to your audience. And mm -hmm. it's not always easy, but some of it is how do you package that art? Because the words inside are brilliant, but you have to get somebody to pick up or click on the book. And that's the marketing. And some people try to go, but no, the cover is part of my art. No, believe it or not, cover, font on the cover, everything mm -hmm. speaks to whether or not that genre is going to pick up and read your book. Now, the stuff inside could be the most awe-inspiring shit in the entire universe. <laughs> but if somebody doesn't pick it up, it doesn't matter how awe-inspiring it is, right? Yeah. And uh, so you can't have a keep it secret safe, I want this cover thing. You have to go... Well, what do the other books look like? And how do I make my book look similar and yet stand out? So that is my particular tangent on that. I like your artwork though behind you. I can see it. It's very cool. For those watching the YouTube, you'll be able to see it. But again, yeah, that, those were your nonfiction books, correct? Yeah, I have the, I painted and I put the paintings up there on the wall and then I put, had the books done too. Um, so you can see the correlation up there. But then on the the one that I self-published, um, which was the Bloomware Planted book, that's what I used the pseudonym for. Um, I had my my niece, my little niece took the picture for that one. And um, a friend helped me because on Amazon, you know, when you're doing that self-publishing, that too is something that you, you know, it's not as easy as just slapping it up there. There's a lot of decisions that have to be made. And especially with 
computers and margins and fonts and these and that and spacing and all of that. And if, if you don't have somebody to walk you through that, it's it can be trying. Um, it can be. I will say this. One of my really great uh, writer friends, I will say writer friends, her name is MK Williams, goes through the how-tos of doing all that, by the way. If nice. you want to self-publish, her name is MK Williams. She has a ton of art, art um, author help books and a ton of, um, she does YouTube channels with little walkthroughs on how you do the different things. Nice. So I'm going to put a plug in for her here. Ironically, I was emailing her earlier today, but she totally, if you're going to self-publish, look up MK Williams one. I think it's MK Williams one. Do you remember Charles? Yeah, because there was another MK Williams and she said she's not the dude. She's not the dude. <laughs> she's her, uh, she identifies as a female. That's what I will say. And I would look her up. Absolutely. Because she helps people who want to self-publish on how to do it, how to do all those things. Yeah. And that I think is very good advice <laughs> to do. I had a big learning curve and I just kept meeting people. There's a wonderful organization here in Florida, Florida Writers Association. And they meet in little pods all over the state. And uh, boy, what support. And I met someone there. Um, we edit each other's work. We give each other encouragement. Sometimes we say, mm, that doesn't make sense at all. You might want to back that up. Um, but it, what a great support. And I met someone there that really helped walk me through that. And the reason I switched, too, from the traditional um, I got nervous about that ownership. You know, So I'm glad you kind of went into that. Uh, a little bit. I didn't know at first, I, I, and I still have an illusion of writing a screenplay about um, the Bloomore Planet book. And I wanted to own it. I, I mean, I wanted the rights to that book and it was important to me to do so. So well, I think- Well, what you, I recommend to any author is copyright your book. So a, yes. good, a good publishing company copyrights the books under the author's name. Right. And I can tell you, I have an entire stack right here of copyright notices under the author's names, because that's what we do as a publishing company. Just for the record, in case anyone's wondering what they look like, this is what they look like. They're on this very fancy paper, which you can maybe see that has all these things. And this is an official copyright thing from the certificate of registration and it even has a registration number. This is $75 yes. to register your work, mm -hmm. $65 or $75. Oh, I don't remember, I've been drinking. But it's not that expensive. When you're done writing, even if it's before it's fully edited and everything, copyright your work. This is the only way you can <laughs> legally pursue something happening. Now you can copyright it. If you've had it to your drive, you have it, you've emailed it to yourself, you've mailed it to yourself, people do all kinds of crap with that. Totally okay, but when it comes to suing somebody because they took your stuff, you cannot do it unless you legally do it through the copyright office yes. in the United States. There was just a huge thing with that. It's why I don't get involved in writers groups is somebody had joined a writers group, somebody got a hold of their book and they were editing it for them and they basically stole the book and published oh and copywrote it first and did the whole thing. It's why I don't do that. I may be just a paranoid person, but a lot of or times a paranoid like person, but I am extremely paranoid. <laughs> extremely. That's why I don't leave my house. Actually, I do. That makes me sound crazy. Anyways, but <laughs> there was the whole story. It was one of those where, you know, they had seen basically their story came out and they were oh, super, that's terrible. It was somebody they had met on a Facebook writing group. Yeah. 
No, you can't. Copyright your shit. You, have to be, you do have to be careful, Copyright. but there are things you can do to protect yourself. And with that, we are going to take a break real quick on Drinking With Authors, and we'll be right back. Our sponsor today on Drinking With Authors is Skunk Brothers Spirits. Skunk Brothers Spirits was started by a family of disabled veterans focused on locally sourced quality distilled spirits. Their name was inspired by their pops, who was nicknamed Skunk. Skunk's father was a moonshiner in Oregon back when it wasn't exactly legal. Now the brothers are taking the family business legal with their Washington-based team using their grandfather's Prohibition-era moonshine recipe to bring small batch spirits to the gorge and beyond. From the moonshine corn whiskey to the apple pie brandy, all of their spirits are handmade in Washington. Believing they already have the best ingredients in the local community, they work with local farmers and suppliers to produce the highest quality spirits from scratch. You can find them on Facebook at Skunk Brothers and on Twitter at Skunk Bros Inc. Or visit their site www.skunkbrotherspirits.com and use coupon code DWA10 at checkout to receive 10% off your order. You can always also ask your local retailer to start stocking Skunk Brother Spirits. Regardless of how you get your hands on a bottle or two, grab a drink and don't forget to get skunk. Okay, we're coming back. Okay, so we we're just talking about props because no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> so, Wendy, you've been traditionally published. How did that go for you when you're when you were first published? What was that like when you got that first book? Maybe it was even before that when you got when you were a chapter or whatever in a book. What was that like? The moment somebody handed you a book that you were published in. Um. Yeah, it, well, you get the bug, that's for sure. Um, I, as I felt that with the chapters because although it was hard to write the chapter, um, I didn't have to go through all the things we've been talking about. Like they had the, the person that was editing the book handled all of those things. So it was all the pleasure, which we know when you're writing, the writing is the pleasure, the rest of it, which is the majority of the time you're spending <laughs> are all those other things that we're talking about. So. Um, I got hooked then immediately and uh, it started me on on my next the out of the dark but the funniest thing when I was writing out of the dark um, I I think I read somewhere you had to write you were to write three chapters and then try to find a publisher because they normally wanted three chapters or something like that was some somebody told me so I started sending it in after I wrote the first three chapters to different places reject 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 you know, and uh, at the same time, Stephen King, I had read, I think he had a, like an autobiography and he had in back of his desk, he had a little nail and he put the reject things on it. And by the end of the time, he had a railroad tie. He pounded it into the wall behind his desk because he was so pissed because he kept getting rejects, rejects, rejects. So that I was endeared by that story. And um, then I thought, you know what? I'm not writing this to get it published. I'm writing this because I have something to say and I feel very passionate about it. And I'm just gonna keep on going. So I finished it. I just stayed in the basement and finished it all. And I'll tell you what, the first publisher I sent it to after I was done writing it, boop, bingo. So I think I just, I think you I just- said you stayed in the basement, but you lived in the I was about to say, was there a creepy light just I swinging back and forth? <laughs> no. I had kids upstairs. 
So I stayed downstairs because it was quiet. And then oh, okay, because I was like, if you live in Florida, I lived in Florida. Oh, that Sarah was when I was in Florida. Yeah, um, there's no basements. No, that was I. I've just moved here. This is our fifth year in July in Florida. But no, that, I lived in Ohio. The first book was definitely in Ohio, and they definitely have basements. So, uh, yeah, that's my my basement story. <laughs> Sounded like a little creepy basement dweller, but yeah, it helped me to organize my thoughts, be clear and be quiet down there. Now I have to, I'm on a porch. That's where my desk is down there, but it's raining so hard. And I didn't want you guys to hear. It is under pouring here. <laughs> my house keeps shaking. Corey's oh, outside smoking 59 degrees <laughs> with the perfect outside. Oh. Well, Fine. aren't you just Nobody fancy. likes the bragger, <laughs> but okay. Just saying, just saying. Hey, no, that's part of the reason we moved up. We did, we moved up here in, in September of uh, 2021. And part of the reason was the weather. Like we'd lived in, uh, my boyfriend had lived in Florida all of his life, but I'd lived down there for a lot of years. And um, I just was tired of not having seasons, like any season besides wet and hot, wet and hot. I know yeah. you are. I know you're like, I'm good. I'm golden. Yeah. So, Wendy, what are, what are you, so what are you working on now? Well, I'm working on the first wrinkle, which is the last book. It was just published in late, late December. Um, so I'm in the, the promotion stage, just reaching out to different, um, trying to brainstorm different ideas of how to promote a book. And I, interesting, I've given it a lot of thought now. I think I'm in six years of writing now. Um, and I really think I'm trying to get onto something now. And I think what I've figured out <laughs> is you don't promote to other writers. You tend to want to be on writing groups and you tend to want to say, oh, author, hashtag author or this, but that's not what, who you want to target. You want to really give a lot of thought about who, especially if it's nonfiction, who needs the information in this book? Who, who's my target audience in this book? And how am I going to get to them? So that being said, I really started thinking about like universities, maybe someone that's teaching like a sociology class or a criminal justice class. Um, this book, The First Wrinkle, is um, four chapters of adults that grew up in foster care. And then in the alternating chapters, people trying to change the system. So foster parents, um, volunteers, you know, people that are in the system trying to do something about it, first responders. So How I really- you, You're not going to conferences for first well, responders or serious. social workers or- That's what I just, honest to God, I, it hit me. My daughter said, why aren't you going to conferences? When I was in the business world, we went to conferences all the time and they had vendors. So I've just recently, I've been to, well, I've been to one show as a vendor. My first one was like maybe a month ago and I'm signed up for two more now to be a vendor at one was for abuse, violence for women. One is um, a foster care parents um, show that, so that's my new niche now that I'm just discovering. And I think, I think I finally got it. So yeah, I'll tell you, what's that? Do you have a newsletter? No, I don't have a newsletter. Okay, resolve that immediately. Oh, good. I'll put on my list over here. Yeah, resolve that area. immediately and then CR definitely go. But you should have a newsletter because part of what you should be doing is every human that talks to you 
You should be handing them a business card with your website to sign up for your newsletter. And you should be updating with all the things, including relevant stories regarding this particular topic, because most people don't realize you build your pre-orders and everything. 20% of your newsletter following will instantly buy your next book. So if you're not signing people up for your newsletter and getting that going, even at the table at the events, hey, do you wanna sign up for my newsletter? I post once a month about all these different things and work on the thing. You are literally throwing money away. So do you think newsletter, do you mean like part of your website on that? Or do you mean printing an actual newsletter? No, like nobody prints an actual newsletter anymore, Wendy. That's adorable <laughs> you said that. Nobody does that. It's all Aren't they cute though? I'm Send cute. it in the mail. Oh my gosh, that'd be so cute. I, I know. Good. Well, you said to hand it to people. You just mean put it on the business card and refer to your website. Yeah, refer to your website. Go sign up for my newsletter. You can have a sign up sheet okay. at your table. Do a raffle for a free something at your table, not a free book, a free something oh, else yeah. that everybody would love. I've Sign up for my newsletter. Bookmarks. I've got pens and I've got all kinds of stuff. All I just bought tablecloths. I mean, I really, <laughs> because I've been to so many. The funny thing is when it was my business life before. So I've been to tons of them and I know what it's like to be on the other side of the table. So I just have to flip my role and go on the other side of the table now. So, but I like the newsletter idea a lot and, and I can definitely write even things like what I'm just talking about now, like guess what I figured out this week or something like that. No, something, totally. You, know. you, just, you don't have to even write it every week. You can write it every two yeah. weeks, once a month, but it keeps it engaged in you. If you have newsletter followers, you can also find a lot of beta readers that way because you'll find people that want to follow you and advices and they might even inspire you for your next book with topics that they yep. want to hear about. You'd be amazed how engaged news newsletter readers can be if you actually do that. I like that idea. I like that a lot. So I can do that. Okay, Chelsea, what were you going to say? Because we just interrupted you with the newsletter spiel. Well, I was going to tell you, especially with your genre, you should really reach out to a lot of the, because uh, we get information about it all the time, especially if you're in Florida, the adoption agencies, the um, the group homes and things like that, because yeah. they're, especially with foster families and um, potential adopters and stuff, they send out all kinds of literature for people. So something to hear things to help them approach a different situation would probably be very, very helpful and great for you. I've spent a lot of time just, I, I make myself sit in front of my computer for three or four hours and think, just brainstorm, you know, just open up my mind to what would it do? And, you know, anytime you're doing research on the computer, it's just so, so time consuming. But uh, so five emails later, I finally get to the person in charge of the guardian ad litem program, which is part of the volunteer program in my book. And I have a whole chapter on being in a guardian ad litem. And so I finally got to the top of that. They have a book club, so I have to get the copy. So I'm starting sending out all these free copies of the books, but trying to target the person at the top that has some pull on, okay, get in touch with this person and this person and this person. And to your point too, Chelsea was just, um, I started attending different groups locally that have to do with children or foster or this and going to attend their, their conferences and listening to them or even their board of directors going to meetings of their board of directors giving copy to the board of directors you know person having them pass it around so it's um 
that, that it's that point, you know, Erica, that you were making that, you know, these are all separate jobs or fields of study. So even though these might seem like small, minuscule little discoveries, and maybe someone in this field is going, duh, didn't you know that? You don't know it. If you don't know it, you, you don't, don't know. But I'll tell you, I think I find a lot of times people overthink the audience. It's different with fiction books because there's more minutia in fiction books, right? But nonfiction books, there's an audience specifically for nonfiction books. Like I'm about to release nonfiction books on human resources. I've done it for 30 years. I have some not human resources, nonfiction books. The first one is called The Successful Manager's Guide to Not Getting Fired or Sued. Like, <laughs> and so- but like, yes, yes, <laughs> I need to read that. <laughs> but it's LinkedIn, it's a business conventions, it's stuff like mm -hmm. that. Like, I'm not going to advertise on fucking Facebook about this. Mm -hmm. Nobody on Facebook, like, not that they wouldn't, but why the fuck advertise on Facebook unless you find Facebook groups for foster parents around the country? Join them and talk about different topics. Like, take somebody's topic they're talking about and go. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I covered this a lot in my book, blah. Not every single thing they say, because they're not going to want to hear you do that every time. But you do that, and then you become somebody that they want to listen to. Like, you go to business conventions, you go to HR conventions, in my particular case, and talk about that. Because guess what? Nobody on Facebook that reads young adults, you know, multidimensional fantasy, hashtag what CR writes, that's yeah, amazing. Yeah, they don't care about... They could well, give right. a flying fuck about the manager's guy, right? They, and I will tell you, yeah. do not go for the person on top. The person on top does not give a flying fuck about it. Go to any type of event manager, event coordinator, um, their marketing team. Do not go for the top people because at the end of the day, their marketing team is going to go to them and they'll be like, hey, I met this lady. She has this great tool that I think will be great. They'll be like, cool. Don't even care what it's called. Don't care who you are. Yes. Anything. They're going to listen to them. So don't waste your time necessarily going to the big honchos. Go I, for those smaller little you. people. I, I, I got that because I, I think what I want to get to almost is a secretary that is kind and I will tell her what I'm trying to do. And she will go, oh, let me CC this person because the yes. secretaries are in the know. Uh, and so, yeah, it just, it, it takes a while to really figure this figure this out of how to market and promote it it's a it's it's fascinating to me but certainly a learning curve um, that probably every writer has to has to go through unless you go traditional and you think they're going to do it for you no but and they don't so they traditional doesn't do it for you either no unless you're a certain person yeah and it's interesting because i even see Fairly major art, uh, authors that I follow do not get nearly the promotion from traditional and they're, you know, X number of things, meaning you don't see them at a ton of book signings and you don't see them doing this stuff. They do it themselves. So, you know, hopefully all of us get to a point where we're as authors, we can hire somebody that helps us with promotion and stuff. But I will say, anytime you go look at somebody who's doing an action for you, like, I say this all the time. If you get an email saying, oh my God, I saw your book and I have 20,000 Twitter followers and they'd love to see it. Like this just happened the other day to one of my authors. And I was like, spam, 
fucking delete it. Yes. Right. And they blow yeah. you up. They yes, do, they but because it's a money-making business, but if somebody, you can literally look and I say, go to Facebook groups or authors that write similar books to what you're writing about, like find other authors that write about foster care and things like that. And they have groups and share on their pages and do takeovers and be willing to give them as much because readers who are reading your book want to read their book. Like I, I write horror. I have a bunch of fans that, uh, not fans, sorry, bunch of friends. Oh my gosh, lots of s'mores beer. Bunch of friends. <laughs> oh my that, gosh. Um, I love the writers. And I can go, hey, you know, Jeff Strand, here's the thing. And I can talk about his book all the time with my people who are listening to me. And he can talk about my book, for instance. Yes. Right. That's how you do it because there's never enough writing. Jeff, who's got a huge library of books, right? I think he's got like 45 or 46. Jeff, do not send me a threatening email when you hear this. But um like how dare you? Yeah, he will. He will actually just <laughs> on point now send me a threatening email because I said that. But he's got these books. Eventually people will get through it and they want to feed on something else. So be friends with other authors yes. that write in your genre because they're going to, you need to feed the machine. Readers read a lot faster than any of us can write. We can't feed what they want to do. They'll be friends with authors. Look at this show has turned into a lot of advice for authors. Don't you it think? Really I, guess. I think it's good because, you know, it's, it's a lonely thing out there. Writing is, you know, it's very solitaire. So any advice you can get, I think, I don't know. I always appreciate anybody giving me advice and then you could choose to take it or not, but at least hearing it, you could make your own decision then. So. No, that's cool. And what made, okay. I got to ask you this. What made you decide to write about the foster care system? Um, I, I don't, I, I, I'm stuttering right now. You can hear me stuttering. I see that. You know, I, it's I, not I, champagne related. She has it's not, it really out. isn't. Well, I hesitate because it makes me sound a little loony, but um, but I'm Christian and I was just I, I I didn't want to do this route at all because um, I really didn't know anything about it. I completely switched subject matter, and that was frightening to me because I didn't know anything about it, and I felt very inadequate to do that, but I'll tell you what, I spent three weeks of sleepless nights knowing that I was supposed to interview uh, my then daughter-in-law, and she, I, I was supposed to write about her life in foster care. That sounds crazy. Didn't want to do it, but the, the, the nightmare stopped, and the direction stopped when I started doing it, so I switched gears, and I talk about authors reading other authors work in your genre I can't tell you how many books I read about foster care or adoption or I read every author known to man about that subject matter and did work did she freeze I think she froze it's a storm I'm telling you it is just rumbling I believe that there's no storm here at 63 degrees and sunny there she is. There she is. <laughs> yeah, I'm the back. storm knocked you out a bit. I'm back. We were having a storm conversation while you were gone. <laughs> I was going on and on too. The funny part is, I could see you guys, so I was just blah blah blah. <laughs> you were frozen. There was nothing. So continue. Re redo your spiel. 
I don't know where I left off. I don't want people to snooze. <laughs> Nobody's going to snooze. They're drinking along with you. Several oh, people probably pop bottles of champagne. I'm just saying. Oh, That's oh my thing. gosh, exactly. I like that. Well, it, I wanted to have a glass of wine and switch my, because I finished that champagne. I don't know when a good time is to switch that. But you can switch um, whatever you just want Just switch to. it on chat. the time, I'm it. pouring other drinks. Because this talking. is a fun little glass that my granddaughter gave me. And it says best grandma grandma ever and it's i just it kind of makes me laugh because if your granddaughter's getting you a wine glass it kind of goes my oh. daughter got me a wine glass that says best Mima oh, or something see. like that or something like my Mima is better than your Mima or something like that it's no, very funny a little bit of competition never hurt anybody that's right exactly so, and i i just had my first granddaughter and i didn't have her i did i did not participate oh, you she got her. Her. but she was born in january so you're in love i'm of course i'm in love thoroughly in love with that little oh, person <laughs> absolutely so it's here's brilliant. my next thing i'm so i'm supposed to show this is educated guests okay so i've had that what do you think of that because i was not a huge fan oh oh we're kissing the bottle i love this is my favorite I don't buy it really? all the time because it's not in my like my cheap like fifteen dollar price range. <laughs> this one's no, like it's not. It's a little more expensive than that. This is twenty six, so that's for good occasions, which this is. So that's why I'm having it with you, wonderful ladies. But yeah, I I, so I'll tell you just like as a it. side note for those that want to try this wine, Publix will sell that for nineteen dollars sometimes. Yeah, I have three bottles of it. Buy one, get one free. I wish we were closer. I mean, I'm in Florida why too. Why do you have three bottles of it? Because it came in that stupid wine group. I don't okay, drink you one. Need to he drink doesn't drink one. We're out of control. Of that to me next it's time I'm so down. Bad. Yeah, you can I tried to drink wine this weekend. Little sidetrack, right? We go on vacation. I'm like, hey, I'm going to do wine. I'm sophisticated and shit. So I go. I am not. I am not a sophisticated wait, wait, human being. So because Corey's like, look, you know, I, I don't like to drink beer because like as girlish as it sounds, like if I drink enough of it, like you just get that icky, like bloated feeling. Yeah. So like, I just don't like it. So I do liquor because you get a better buzz, lower calories, fantastic. So Corey's like, look, we're going to go to this brewery. If you're not going to drink beer, you got to drink wine. So I'm like, all right, cool. Like wine can't be that bad. You no, know, it's disgusting. Like it is like the fifth time I've ever tried it. And so I take a drink and he's like, okay, like the lady's doing this whole thing because it's a wine tour, right? She's like, no, take a drink and just hold it in your mouth and just taste all those flavors. And I'm like, yeah, mine's gone. And this was disgusting. And she's like, you're supposed to like keep that. it in your mouth. I'm like, no, what the fuck is this? Like, what yeah. are you talking about? Something about a palate. In yeah, no. Are, like, do you taste the smokiness? This. And I was like, I could have called this a while ago. I really could have, and instead, I'm just going to come take all your wine because we have we still get it delivered month like monthly. We get I like, don't know bottles you or something. You guys need to not make drunk decisions regarding these things. That's what I'm gonna say. <laughs> it was supposed to be for the wedding, but then we eloped. So oh. it was just now we just have all of this wedding. So when we do like our parties, we're like, "Hey guys, wine!" But then all of his friends are animals, and they just it's. And the so animals gonna, drink anything. So I, the way it, this is just my opinion on this, but I used to live in Ohio, as I said, it, right by the Great Lakes. There's a ton of wineries out there by the Great Lakes. It's a really fun place to visit. It's beautiful. Anyway, 
I never drank wine ever. And I went, my girlfriend said, you're coming and we're going to try them. But there's like so many different kinds, like, and they have little spittoons. Like if you don't like it, you could spit yes. it, right? Spittoon. This lady spit so I was like, excuse me, ma'am. Like, that's Listen, what you I do. did not grow up in the high part yeah. of town, but like, even I know you don't spit in front of people. I and know like, she's like for either, but I spit she's on like, that I am floor. savoring the flavors. Yeah. I was like, you know what? I, I can't do this. <laughs> well, once you find, cause I'm a cab girl, Cabernet is my thing and I'm not switching. Once you find, then you don't spit it out anymore. See, then- yeah, I'm a, I'm a Malbec girl, I'm Malbec. And then on the white side, I'm Riesling. Mm-hmm. You know what kind of person you are. You know what you like, and you never, you don't deviate. I don't deviate ever. Everything. I don't like the red wines because it's wrong. You should not drink a liquid and your mouth go dry. Okay, it's oh, wrong. You're getting one with too many cans. Okay, we're not going down this path. <laughs> this will take too long. You don't okay. want to cap. Wendy, we need to do the shameless self promotion plug now. So, oh. what is your latest book that came out? Oh, I just happened to have a thing that I can be shameless here without reflection. This is called the first wrinkle. Here's a really long thing that I wrote like after so I could describe the book. The effects of childhood trauma and an honest look inside the foster care system. Wendy Sanford and then I put PhD because I earned it. (laughs) I guess that's the only thing it's ever used in every introduction. I'd be like yes I am I'm Wendy PhD. I knew this, I never used my title ever, but I, I, and I, the reason for that, I met this woman a long time ago in my past and I saw her present at one of those conferences that I was at and she said she was a doctor and I had known her for 20 years and I did not know she was a doctor. And I thought, I love that man. She just is what she is and she doesn't say it out loud. So I don't know, I kind of went that path, but I put it on there because I think I want people, it gives them what I'm writing about, I take very seriously. So <laughs> I research no, it. Okay, how do people find your writing? Like, what is your social media, your websites? Talk about that. Uh, oh, I have really good, I have a wonderful guy that keeps up with my website. I think it looks great and has all the books that I've written on it and a little bit about me and contact information and all of that. So. Do you want me to say the website? Yeah, please, because otherwise okay, nobody's going to find it. Wait, wait, get your pencil out, everyone. Write it down. Here it is. www.wsamford.com. Now, I want to say Samford is with an M, like a guy's name and then a car. Samford. Just so you know. So Sam Ford. Got it. Yeah. Got it. <laughs> awesome. Wendy, you've had you've been so much fun to have on the show. Yes. You've been thoroughly Thank amazing. You. Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. It's been really fun. It really has been. <laughs> Very cool. Okay, so this has been Drinking with Authors. I've been your host, Erica Lance. My co-host today has been the fantastical. You like that? That's my adverb. I do. CR Rice. Our business sponsors. I almost grabbed my beer bottle, which will be wrong. But our sponsors have been stuck brothers spirits if you go on their website veteran owned family owned amazing amazing website dwa tenants the coupon code to get 10 percent off they ship pretty much everywhere that will allow it unlike pennsylvania prohibition county and our guest today has been wendy samford and we will see you guys next time
Goodbye. Thank you.